Hey guys, Anna Victoria here, and I'm so excited for you to join me on my podcast, Your Best Life. I'm the CEO and founder of the FitBody app, a fitness influencer, and a personal trainer. Every week, I'm going to have a special guest that will share their unique experience and unique story to share how they learned how to live their best life, even if they're still working on it, since we are all a work in progress. I can't wait to help you learn how to create your best life. Welcome back to another episode of Your Best Life. Anna Victoria here and Luca. Hello. (laughs) So today's guest is Latham Thomas, who is a master manifester and the founder of Mama Glow, a healthy gal's guide to actualization in the modern world. Her second book, Own Your Glow, was recently published by Hay House Inc. So Luca, uh, we are, well, you know, she is Um, She has many different things. What we're going to dive in today is specifically in regards to her doula practice. Perfect. I know. I know. Yes. So what are you most interested in hearing her talk about? I'm still a little confused. You know, the difference between a doula, midwife, uh, honestly, even, you know, because in Italy it's different, right? We don't, it's like we have a kind of a different system. So I, I'm definitely looking forward to understanding what actually the role of a doula is and how they can help you. Yeah, same here. I, I know I have like a very basic understanding of what the difference between a midwife and a doula is. Um, but what I'm also most curious about is um, why does our healthcare system not incorporate or kind of encourage midwifery or having doulas there because like you said in Italy it's different there's it's kind of somewhat like intertwined I'm sure that there's still a little bit of like friction you know between the it's really a a, a eastern and western kind of approach to birth you know with more of an obstetrician you know and then having midwives and you know I always like a balance of both so yeah, I'm really excited to hear what her experience is, what the differences are, what the benefits are, um, even, you know, what to do if someone is a bit skeptical, you know, about having a midwife and, you know, the access to it. So, yeah. So here is my conversation with Latham Thomas. I'm so excited and honored to have you on. This is a topic that is very near and dear to my heart right now. I'm 32 weeks pregnant. <laughs> so, yeah. So um, before we get into that, um, do you want to share a bit about who you are and what you're about? Yeah. So my name is Lethan Thomas. I'm the founder of a company called Mama Glow. And our work is focused on pregnancy. So We support people before, during, and after. So people are thinking about having a baby. They've just had one. They want to have one. Wherever you are in that continuum, we support you. And we have a a global doula immersion program for people who want to become practitioners to support people along the journey of uh, pregnancy through the early postpartum experience as well. I feel like doulas are not, they're not that mainstream, right? Like not a lot of people know what they are, what the benefits are. Can you explain a bit about what, like specifically in regards to pregnancy, what doulas do? Yeah, so doulas are non-clinical care providers who provide emotional support, physical support, um, psychological, educational support, advocacy tools for, for you to navigate the birth experience. They're really there like a cheerleader, like someone to hold your hand, you know, as you go through the, the process. 
And um, one of my clients calls it like having a producer for your birth, right? It's someone who really considers all the things that are necessary and important for you to have the experience you desire. And so, um, yeah, that's really the role. And it's one of handholding. It's one of um, real connection because it's an experience, as you know, um, or we'll know soon that yeah. <laughs> um, is life changing, right? And so the 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 relationship is one that's really intimate. You're a mother yourself. I am. Right? Yeah. So, what was your birth experience like? Did you have a doula, or was that kind of your introduction into the, that whole world? Yeah, I didn't have a doula for my birth. Um, my son was born. Uh, he's gonna be seventeen. Oh my. Gosh. Yeah, in July. I think that that experience that I had with him was so empowering. I delivered in a birth center in Manhattan. We live in Brooklyn now, but at the time I delivered in a birth center and it was an amazing experience because, you know, you would go in, there were midwives, you would take your own weight, you would check your urine to make sure there was no protein, you would write on your own chart, things that you expect doctors and nurses to do for you, you would do in the birth center on your own. I still have all of my records that they gave me from after my son was born and the way that they talked about the experience. Um, it was really beautiful. And the experience itself of delivering like seven blocks from where I lived, being able to walk home afterwards, um, it was incredible. And I had a beautiful experience. My son was born. Um, I had a vaginal delivery. There was no, um, no pharmaceuticals, um, as what people call all natural. I mean, I believe all birth is natural, but um, this was one that was obviously without not obviously, but it was without um, any yeah. any medical support. And so I think for me, that was something that I knew was possible, but I felt like, you know, I had the tools necessary to navigate that experience because my birth center actually encouraged um, 21 hours of education and childbirth prep mm. in order to deliver there, right? Wow. Yeah. So I had like this awareness, you know, going in. And I also was like recently out of college. So I wasn't that much older than school age, you know, like college kids. And so right. the way that I was thinking about this was educationally. Right. I was, I was a recent college mm -hmm. grad. So I'm thinking about like, oh, wow, I'm learning in the way that I would for college. Right. And so I think that that was also really helpful being you know, someone who was really an avid learner and wanting to take in all the information that was that was sort of my experience. I didn't have a doula, but I did have incredible midwives, nurse midwives. And then there was like assistants that were present that day when I delivered. And then my son's father and one of my best friends who became an OBGYN after the experience, um, she was there too. So I had a lot of support. So I don't think I needed an extra person in the room. Right, right. Sounds like it. And speaking of learning about the birthing process, do you think that that's something that's lacking in today's day and age among just women in the general population? I mean, I think people learn things, but there's so many places to learn right now, right? You can go online and you can Google anything and it'll take you down a rabbit hole Right? right? So it's hard, I think, to discern. Almost for better or worse. Yeah. So it might be hard for people to discern, right? Like where, where right. they should be focusing their attention. I don't think there's a lack of information, but I do think that there's, okay. there's sort of a lack of, um, you know, focus of where you should put your attention in terms of learning, um, what to focus on. And, um, and because of how our medical system is framed, I think it is important to understand what it'll be like when you enter the hospital, what the expectation is of the experience, and um, so that you're not surprised when you go. And I think the, the other things that we do have a lack of education for is alternatives to hospital birth, right? I think people 
don't think about out of hospital birth experiences and what's possible there. And um, because, you know, we've had this sort of system that's built against midwifery and against um, birth centers, right? So there's fewer options and there should be, right? We should have a plethora of options available for people. And so, um, so I hope that we can get to a place where that is possible. Yeah, where we will have yeah. more, you know, options, where we will have freestanding birth centers, we will have maternity centers that are connected to hospitals, but not operating inside of hospitals. Um, and that home birth would be an option for people that are low risk and um, and that can be in the care of midwives. I think we should make sure that people know that there's all options possible. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Since being pregnant and starting to, you know, learn about all things birth, I've almost felt like there's a bit of a conflict between like our traditional uh, hospital system and midwives and doulas. Mm -hmm. um, why do you think that is? You know, when you go into a, like a, a hospital system is designed to function as a risk-oriented, technology-dominated approach to care, right? Mm -hmm. And um, there are financial reasons for that. There are, you know, reasons that are connected to le legality, um, policies, you know, safety and protection, but primarily it's um, financial, right? If you come in, put it like this, if you come in and your birth is 30, 40 hours, right? Like that doesn't really work yeah. for my timeline <laughs> if I'm right. trying to turn over beds, right? It's sort of like if you see, if you've ever been in a restaurant and, you know, they're like rushing people out, you know, trying to put a bill on the table before you're ready to leave. Like, you know, they have an idea of like how many tables they can serve at any given time, how quickly they turn over, right? And so there's this idea that like, you know, within two hours, that table is going to be free again. And similarly in hospitals, right? They have a cer certain amount of beds, a certain amount of practitioners available, a certain amount of, of time that that space can be allocated to one individual. And so, you know, it's mainly like financial, right? And, and that's where it sort of starts when we think about policies around time, you know, um, how long it'll take before someone comes to talk to you about possibly indu inducing you because it seems like the labor isn't moving along as quickly as we would hoped or, you know, whatever it is that you're presented with, it's usually on the basis of time, right? Uh, as a consideration. Um, and usually a lot of these, I would just say usually, but I would say many times, um, the, the interventions that are introduced are not, um, there's no medical indication for them, but it's, it's a timeline, right? And yeah. so, um, you know, like some things could be, if you're, you know, in a um, home birth setting, for instance, like the labor could take days, right? And sometimes it does. And so the idea that like you're abnormal or you're not falling into, you know, what's considered a normal, a normal timeline for, for your birth to unfold uh, because you haven't, you know, given birth by a certain time, I think, you know, that can be challenging for many people. So I like the idea of, you know, really supporting the client and their needs. And sometimes those goals line up with the institutional goals, but many times they don't because, you know, the client is an individual, not a statistic, not a number, right? Not just a, not just a, not just whatever it says on their wrist when they, right, check in. And so um, I think that we have to, think about merging our goals, right, as practitioners and 
to know that doulas are not here to fight against the system or fight against the doc. Well, we are here to challenge the system, right? To transform it, but not to yeah. fight doctors and fight nurses. That's really not the goal. And that's actually not the energy that is being brought into the hospital. That is, I think, a perception and kind of an archetype that's been set up about doulas um, because people, what, what people I think are most concerned with is the fact that these are people who are educated, who are posing a threat to the the plan maybe or the 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 status quo maybe mm -hmm. and so as a result that can create some of the conflict like you're talking about right where it's like oh well this person could be a pain or doulas can you know get in the way and you know it's not getting in the way it's actually like making us perceive differently like what options are available right and and figure out what's possible for this person and that might mean you know expanding our our toolkit and and creating more options that are non-pharmaceutical first if we can do that we can many times um, minimize the the trauma minimize the the risk for um, a surgical outcome and and also increase maternal satisfaction like we want moms and and uh, birthing parents to feel good about the experience um, regardless of the outcome right yeah you know my husband is from italy born and raised so uh when you know since we're having a baby and we're both learning about all this stuff and i asked him like how what's the word for a doula or a midwife in italian and he was like uh, I mean, this this happens pretty often anyways. Translating is really hard. But, um, you know, he had to ask his mom and his mom was like, well, what do you mean? Like a gynecologist for them and like an, a midwife is like almost kind of the same thing. Like they don't have, there are two different words. So like we did figure that out, but she was really like, for us, it's kind of like they come together, you know? And so I feel like it is very like, I guess, could you say systematic in the United States where there's that separation and that they're kind of like, you know, I, um, I, I can't remember. I watched a documentary and I'm not sure if this is where I got it from, but the business of being born. Yeah. And they talked about at some point in history that they're in the United States, you know, we're a very young country, but, um, there was a, there was a clash and there was a, a hard line separation, yes. um, between midwives. So, um, do you know any bit about, um, that, that history and how that happened? Yeah. So, you know, the historical framework of, our modern gynecological system actually, you know, dates back to the 16, really, yeah, 16 to 1700s. And um, in that time, you know, obstetrics was very nascent. And it was a time, it was, it was sort of evolving uh, during chattel slavery in the United States. And so what, what happened is that there were slave hospitals where many of the women who were there were their bodies were experimented upon. They were used uh, for medical research purposes to sort of figure out how to fix pathologies um, that occurred in the pelvis, right? Um, and um, particularly like the uterus. And so in that time also, you had um, the granny midwives were, who were um, African women who were, were brought here and who tended not only to the enslaved women, but also to the mistress and the master and um, their children, right? So they would deliver their children, but also, you know, provide care because they were like really skilled in, um, in these incredible forms of um, 
medicine, right, uh, that, that they brought from their homeland. Um, and they came from obviously many different countries and, and tribal groups. And so that was sort of the foundation. And so those midwives then were the ones who delivered everyone. And while obstetrics was sort of forming, um, they would bring in the midwives to like learn from. And so they brought them into the institution, was like, okay, we got to kind of find a way to like streamline this process, you know, figure out sanitation, like all these things that um, they thought would be really important. And so they did all this stuff. They learned a lot from them, but they also taught them some things. And then they forced this kind of like certification process. So even if you had delivered all the babies, now you had to like comply with this new sort of um, this new policy. And so then they build legislation around these women that would force them to have to comply now to a certain type of policies and law to essentially undermine what they were doing the whole time. And then it became that um, insurance was developed and, and insurance uh, made it possible to cover um, enslaved women and um, freed women. And so it became um, more attractive for white male doctors to now see black patients. And so then that also then took away the business from the midwives, right? But there was hundreds of years of propaganda, which, because if you can think about it now, you know, midwives are like pushed to the margins. Like if you, yeah. you know about them, like you hear about them, you know the name, but people talk about midwives as if it's going to be someone showing up to your house with like some hot towels and prayer. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not just hot towels and prayer to deliver your baby. Right. Like these are people who are right. really deeply skilled. And I think yeah. um, the issue that I still see to this day, and the same with doulas, is that, you know, like forcing these people who are critically important to the margins. And doulas are, are really incredible non-clinical care providers because they are able to like sort of bridge that gap where, you know, the emotional support and all the stuff that I described earlier is intact so that that person who's, who's, who's in the birth process feels that safety that's, that's necessary, right, to move through the process. And so, you know, that's kind of like how things got started here and the birth disparities that we see in communities of color, particularly in the black community, is directly correlated to these atrocities that occurred, right? Um, around the origins of our um, healthcare system and are still occurring. And so I think that yeah. that's the thing that I wish, you know, I mean, people know now, people are learning more now, but like there hasn't been a clear history uh, through line. You know, we don't tell our medical students this stuff, right? About, right. Um, you know, how. Um, medical racism is real and how we yeah. need to address, right, the the issues. Right. And the fact that you could say that in, you know, in your husband's origin country, that the that the word is, is really hard to distinguish because it's about caring for women, right? It's not about like creating this, you know, these barriers of, of, um, of care. Um, and that's what you see also in Italian culture. It's very matriarchal. It's very centered around family. And so of course, the word is probably going to be more aligned with family connection, right? It's not going to be about like sterilization and, you know, right. individual out, individuality, right? And so, um, but, but we can see that based on the culture. And um, I think that, you know, here there's a, a been a real push towards individualism, a real push towards um, 
yeah, like you being on your own, standing on your own, doing it on your own. Birth is one of those things you have to be in community with. Like you have to have support to get through birth. You cannot do it on your own. You know, you're not designed to, you're designed to be supported. And so, you know, the midwifery model honors that. And so does the doula model. It really honors that need for support that need for mothering as you move through that process. And what is the difference between a midwife and a doula? Yeah. So great question. So the midwife provides all the clinical care, like a, like an obstetrician would do or gynecologist. Um, you can see a midwife for your well woman care. So if you are, um, you know, coming of age, you can see a midwife, you know, for all of your screenings, your health screenings that are related to gynecology. You can see them obviously throughout the pregnancy and for the birth. They also do your postpartum visits and they will, they can continue to do your care after your baby is here. Um, so essentially it's like the same type of care. The only difference between them and I would say obstetricians is that obstetricians will perform um, surgical delivery, right? So they will do C-sections where midwives right. will, if there is a emergency transfer to be made, the midwife would hand over the care to the obstetrician who would then deliver the, the client that was in distress, right? And so then the doula is the non-clinical support. So everything else, right? So everything emotional, everything physical, psychological, getting you comfortable, thinking about how you're going to design your life around supporting the baby and your goals, right? So it's everything else um, that's non-clinical. And so doulas do not deliver babies. There have been instances, obviously, where people are you know, um, in a car on their way to the hospital and it just happens, but it's not like we don't sign up to do that, right? We are here to birth alongside you and your provider. So you have to have a care provider established for, for a doula to work with you. It is not to be done alone. And I think that's one of the things that I feel like people get um, confused, right? They'll think, oh, I'll just get a doula and I'm going to try to do this on my own. You know, we it's like it's like a liability risk for us to to be in a Absolutely. situation like that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so for me, my I'm one of seven children. Wow. My mom had yeah, I'm number six. So um my mom had all of us. Uh I I don't want to say natural. I've I've been corrected. The correct term is unmedicated. Yeah. Right. Because all birth is natural. That's right. So all unmedicated, um, vaginal. And she raised me always, of course it was a I feel like a, a hot topic if anytime people would, you know, hear about her having seven kids and, and it was just kind of always discussed. And she would always say like, oh yeah, like childbirth is, it's mental. Like, of course it's physical. Like whenever I say this, I want to say like, it's not about like how much mental strength you have is going to determine, you know, the, the, the physical side because mm -hmm. there are medical things that are outside of our control. Yeah. Um, but I just, I was raised with that mentality, um, not fearing birth mm -hmm. and, um, and so I've always thought, you know, like when that time comes for me, I want unmedicated vaginal birth. Um, now that it's it's around the corner, I'm like, huh, <laughs> you know, like what? I, I don't know how I feel about this, actually. No, I, I still am hopefully, you know, God willing, going to um, aim for a vaginal unmedicated birth. But for my my sister, she, my oldest sister, she had to get um shots in her legs to stop her from bleeding out. Mm -hmm. I don't know what the term is for that, but just because I have someone in my family that had this like blood loss or clotting disorder, you know, I, I, I went back and forth between a 
birthing center or a home birth, of course, of course, or, or a hospital birth. And that's kind of where, you know, seeing my sister, knowing that she went through that, I decided, okay, I'm going to do a hospital birth, but I would like to have a support person there with me, either a midwife or a doula, at least for my first, you know, like, because I haven't done it yet. It's yeah. going to be, you know, a little scary. And I don't know, just in this time of coronavirus, that actually put, is pushing some people more to home birth. Yeah. So I've heard. Yep. So, but when I asked my OB, you know, can I have a midwife there? She, she kind of, you know, went on the spiel about like what the really, the, that hospital's relationship is with midwives. Mm -hmm. And it came down to, they don't allow midwives, but they do allow doulas Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as a medical support person. Yeah. So, um, so that is currently the plan. I'm, I feel like I'm 32 weeks and I'm still not totally set in it. And I should probably decide (laughs) pretty soon here. Um, but for someone in my position that like, it's my first birth, Mm -hmm. I kind of don't know what to expect. I'm not terrified of it. Um, what advice would you give to me? Well, I think first of all, it's great that you come from a family where, you know, birthing is has been normalized, that you probably know your own birth story um, and, and the stories of others, um, of your siblings. I think that's amazing because it's not something that everybody gets to talk about with their with their family members. And so I think that's wonderful. Um, it's also great that you know about your sister's birth experience and her health history um, because that can color um, our experiences. It doesn't mean that you would at all have a similar outcome, but it's right. good intel to know. What, what it sounds like she had after, um, which is common for many people, when there's some postpartum hemorrhaging, um, they give uh, Pitocin, uh, which is synthetic oxytocin, and it um, allows for the uterus to start to contract um, back down to a size that, it's not pre-pregnancy size, that takes several weeks, but it immediately starts to contract down because um, people have to remember that the uterus expands between 500 to 1,000 times its normal size to accommodate pregnancy. Yeah. 500 to 1,000 1, times, okay? Yeah. So what that means <laughs> is that immediately, it becomes actually the largest muscle in the body. And so what that means is that when the baby um, comes, right, there's, I mean, there's been tons of blood flow, right, to manage the contractions. And so at this point, um, you want to contract back down so that you don't lose blood. And so um, so that's what they did. They gave her the Pitocin. Sometimes they run it in um, an IV, but when they see a lot of blood, they'll do the shot in the thigh, right? So, yeah, okay. so that's what they probably did for her just to like minimize the, the blood loss um, immediately. Um, that isn't the case for everyone. You could have a birth and everything, you know, goes wonderful and afterwards, like there's no blood loss, you could have a situation where there's immediate blood loss. Um, so it really depends, but the doctor will watch that and be able to dis- discern if whether or not you're a candidate for, um, for Pitocin afterwards. Um, it is something that you can also, you know, let them know that is not part of your birth plan unless medically necessary, right? So if there is a medical indication for it, of course it's there. But I would say, you know, it's like I... I like to stay away from giving people advice because I feel like, you know, like pregnant people are so wise already. And there's so many people 
giving you advice. It's unsolicited. <laughs> you know, uh, yes. <laughs> it's like you're walking down the street and here comes someone with their advice, right? Yeah. You know, I have to say the one kind of good thing about being pregnant in coronavirus is no one's talking to me. Nobody. You know, like no one's, no one's coming up and putting their hand on my belly or, you know, giving the unsolicited advice. Well, I get it over social media enough. So there you go. It's not in person. <laughs> That's right. I mean, think about that. Like you're literally walking down the street and someone feels like they can actually touch your body, right? Because there's a baby in there. I cannot imagine that. Yeah. So that's, yeah, I didn't even think about that being a plus during this time. Yeah. (laughs) You know, what I would say though is this is a time to really like start to cultivate the relationships that you have with people who can be there to support. What does the sort of support network look like? What does your birth village look like? And so what I mean by that is You know, when the baby comes home, um, what people don't think about is that they think about the baby's needs, preparing all these things for the baby, and nobody's thinking about like, what about your needs? What what are you going to need when the baby arrives? And so the doula thinks about this a lot. And there are postpartum traditions that think about this and consider this and make space for this time of sort of the the maternal, um, beautiful kind of like... uh, window where you're showing up into new motherhood, where you're like born into new motherhood. And in that window of time, you really need the same things that the baby needs, right? You need to be swaddled. You need to be held. You need to be loved. You need to be fed. You need to be bathed, right? (laughs) Because you're not going to get up and take a shower because like, right? right? So you need someone to come bathe you. You need need, um, to be told that you're doing a good job. You need to be sung to. Your hair needs to be combed, right? Like all these things that we would do for a baby. You need those things. And so who is going to do that? Like, who are the people that you can trust that can show up? Who are the people? And especially in a time like coronavirus, you know, a lot of people had to deliver and go home and not be met with family members. Family members couldn't be in the house. And so the care that a lot of people anticipate was disrupted by the virus. My sister had a baby in March and I didn't, I haven't even met her yet. Oh my God. And I was hoping to go to the birth. Right. And so- So this is one of those things, right, for us to to think about, like, how do we design that space, whether it's virtual support, whether it's physical support as we move back into, you know, the world. um, What is that going to look like for you? Like, how are you going to, you know what I mean? How are you going to integrate these people? So does that mean like assigning somebody like to meals? Okay, making sure that me and my partner eat, um, assigning someone to sort of manage the flow of visitors. Is there somebody who can help you organize? Like who's going to come over and fold all these baby clothes, wash them, put them away, organize them? Who's going to make sure that like we have enough diapers and, you know, who's going to do all these things? I'm sure there are people in your life who would love to use the skill sets that they have to be supportive. So so that would be my advice would be to just kind of start to 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 connect the dots and and build up that birth village so that when the baby does arrive, like you have the supports you need. And so just like you're thinking about having a doula for the birth experience, you know, not just thinking about also on the postpartum side, what a postpartum doula could look like, but also be thinking about what is like my actual support network look like? Like when everybody is gone, right? Like when when all the fanfare is away and all the the gifts stop coming and all the flowers and the orchids stop coming, right? (laughs) When all that stops coming, like who is there? Who is going to come over and and hold the baby so I can take a shower? Who is going to come over so I can get a walk outside? (laughs) Well, that's what I've been told is that about in terms of having visitors come over is that to make sure that they're there to not just gawk and like, 
you know, capture your attention and talk about the baby, but that they're there to help you That's right. and support you and make you meals and help with the laundry. So my mom, the one with seven kids, <laughs> she is going to come. We're going to have to have her quarantine mm-hmm. first, of course. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm so grateful that that she's going to be able to stay here because obviously she has a lot of experience that's in right. this area. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's great advice. Um, I have one question in regards to midwifery and, and or a doula. Do you think that this is a luxury item or do you think that this is something that's pretty accessible to anyone? I think it should be accessible to everyone. I mean, I think that, well, first, you should be able to choose a care provider of of your um, desire, right? Like, it shouldn't be like, well, you have to go with this because this is the option available. Everyone should have their provider of choice, right? That should be access that is granted to anyone, regardless of financial or socioeconomic or, you know, location, background. Like, all of that stuff should just be, Mm -hmm. you know we should be making sure that the people have access to the providers that they need. So that's number one. But um, when it comes to doula work, there are doulas who work at every financial bracket, right? So you can find people Mm -hmm. who are, you know, very early on in their doula journey. Like we have doulas who are newly minted and so they're ready to get their experience and, you know, they're more affordable, for, you know, because they're newly experienced, right? Um, And then we have very seasoned doulas and you have people who are, you know, expensive. So I think it's kind of like you decide where you fall in terms of what you can invest. And then you, yeah, then you get the support. You know, I think also people should know that there are some people who who are doing um, births for free, especially for folks who are in a position where they don't have the access or the ability, or it would not be possible for them. Um, there are certainly people who are doing these types of births and we call them community doulas who will provide um, low cost or free support um, for people who meet certain criteria, right? So yeah. if, it, if it turns out that you fall under that bracket, you should not feel Um, threatened or you should not feel like you don't belong or that you should not seek the support you absolutely should seek the support if you need it and um it like kind of breaks my heart when people feel like it's a luxury like they have to choose this over something else and i found that that was the case for many people during covid is that it was something that they were planning for and then one of two things happened one was that financially they couldn't afford it and the second thing, um, and then so obviously many doulas adjusted to meet that need. And the second thing was that doulas were forced out of the delivery room during COVID, right? right? So in that early period, mm-hmm. so that also changed things. So then, you know, it, it really sort of um, opened the door for um, virtual support. And so virtual support is something that everyone can do. And so if you have access to a smartphone or just the internet, you can get virtual support and you can learn. And so say you couldn't maybe pay for somebody to come over, or maybe like you're in a place where, you know, quarantine is slowly opening up and you're not sure if you'll be able to have like a person in the room with you. I would still very much encourage to, to, you know, sign up for doula support to do virtual with someone so that you can get what you need. Because I think that that would be so huge for folks, yeah. And one thing that I want to talk about, um, we are in a moment right now of great importance and a shift in our society with the Black Lives Matter movement. Mm -hmm. And I've heard a statistic that 
um, three in one, um, I don't know if it's minority or black women, either have severe health complications or die as a result of childbirth today, yeah. in today's day and age. So I want to I wanna honor this moment. I'm still learning so much about everything that's going on, ears wide open. Um, and so I think this is a really important thing to address and bring to light for my listeners. Yeah. So um, is that something you can speak on? Yeah. So in the U.S., um, we're like the leading country in maternal deaths. And um, <laughs> what... I just don't even, I just don't even understand I how know. that. Oh. Yeah, of all sort of so-called developed countries. Right. So what that means is we're actually the only one that, you know, with the amount of money we spend on healthcare, have mm-hmm. a rising um, maternal death toll. Um, and this, there's many factors contributing to this. And what it, what it breaks down to is that Um, Black women and Native American women are actually four to five times more likely than white women to die during childbirth or due to childbirth related causes. And some of these causes that sort of um, become uh, compounded are um, blood and placental disorders, um, uh, hypertension, diabetes, asthma. These are some things that can be like comorbidities that can be um, exacerbated um, through the experience of pregnancy and sometimes um, underdiagnosed. Mm-hmm. And so they can lead to things like preeclampsia, eclampsia, which, which can be uh, life-threatening. And so those are some of the things that happen health-wise. And then the main thing, though, that is not sort of factored in statistically, but is um, being talked about a lot, is sort of this... Um, this factor of the lived experience of racism that like whittles you down, right? And and so what that's called is weathering, right? Like it sort of weathers away, right? At at your well being. And so so someone who is like normally healthy, but also living with um, chronic stress, and chronic stress then compounds comorbidities and illnesses, right? And and disease and and can affect your immune system and it affects everything, right? So that chronic stress then leads to other health conditions. Um, that makes you, that renders you already vulnerable even before you get pregnant, right? And so that's one thing that is a factor. And then the experience of racism as you enter the system, that's another layer, right? So now you enter a hospital where you can go and I can go to the very same place and I have Um, a lesser chance of a healthy birth outcome, right? I also have statistically a higher chance of low birth weight baby and a baby that's prematurely born. And that's also um, connected to compounded stress, right? I think the other thing to add is that, you know, education doesn't protect Black women from this, neither does financial status, right? So, you know, in fact, we see that people who have um, postdoctoral degrees that are Black women are, you know, really at risk. So it's like, it seems like the more education you have, <laughs> you know, um, but yeah, so right. so that doesn't protect us either. And we see that story with Serena Williams, um, who, mm-hmm. who has been vocal about her experience with her daughter and, um, and the near miss, right, um, of the, the experience post-birth, right? So this is an issue because we're, again, like I spoke about before, there's never been like a reckoning with this system and how it was founded. 
Um, when black women are going into hospitals, what they're reporting is that they're not seen as um, human or not seen as valid. The things that they're reporting about symptoms, um, they're not being heard. If they talk about pain, it's not met with um, you know, adequate pain management. Um, they're perceived to have low, um, a very high pain tolerance mm. or that they don't feel pain, right? And so, and these- Interesting. Yeah, this goes back to also huh. medical journals where um, in like the 1700s it described enslaved yeah. women this way. And so the belief is still there, right? Um, that like they're stronger or superhuman in some kind of way. This is like racism, right? And so it's embedded yeah. in the system. So you have people who, um, many who are well-meaning, right? Who want to do the right thing, but if this is what you've been taught, then it's hard to do the right thing. And then you have people who are not necessarily, you know, well-meaning or not necessarily, they're just doing their job, but they're not necessarily seeing that there is this, this other layer that has to be addressed. And so, and so if we enter into this space and think about like, well, how do we address the needs of the marginalized people? How do we show up and meet their needs? And if that is the focus, right, to, to sort of improve the disparities, then that is something that that can be, that we can collectively work towards, right? And there has to be an acknowledgement that there's a problem to begin with, right? And so right. I think right. that we all see that like, this is an issue that's affecting this population. It should be, it's a human rights issue, right? right. But okay, how, what are we gonna do about it now? So that's where we have to get now is, okay, the awareness is there, People are still sort of on the fence about like how we got here, but what we do know is we can't stay here. And so right. it's important, I believe, especially, you know, these, a lot of these cases became exacerbated by COVID, right? A lot of these mm -hmm. issues, a lot of the deaths, you know, um, you know, COVID was the backdrop because, you know, people weren't getting adequate care during that time. The system is overstressed and um, super fragile, right? And there are stories of women who's, whose lives, who would be here if they had adequate care. Um, and so I guess all of this to say, you know, in you asking that question and in folks who are listening, like this has to be an issue that we speak about and we learn more about so that we can advocate for better change. So like when you're going into the hospital and you're seeing something, you're like, well, how come I'm getting this and this person is not? Right? right? Or how come they're speaking to this person this way and not me? Or, you know, or how can I use my platform and my voice, right, to speak to, alongside this issue so that people know that it even exists, but also that there's something we can do about it. And so right. I think that's how we have to get around. And it, and it seems to be happening because as we see, you know, the perception of Black Lives Matter, I mean, remember people would get so upset about saying, the words and now it's everywhere. It's on billboards. I mean, outside of my house, the kids drew it in chalk, chalk on the streets. <laughs> yeah. oh. You know, like five year olds. So, yeah. so it's like it's the public perception is there now to yeah. to I think change this the change our perception, but also really understand what is happening. Be able to listen and and contribute to you know, a future that is designed around meeting the needs of the most marginalized. Because what I know is that, and I think all of us can understand this, is that when we design for the people who aren't being served, then everybody, everybody wins, right? And so if my needs are met and your needs are, you're going to get even better service, right? Because my needs are met now. Right. So, 
So I think that um, we have to see it as a collective effort. You know, mm-hmm. it's not an issue just be- if you're, you know, not in your pregnancy years, it's still your issue. If you're not yep. a woman, it's still your issue. If you, ident- whatever you identify, this is still your issue because we have to all put our weight behind this issue because there's not enough of us here to do it on our own. That would be my request and invitation yeah. is for all of us to like get as educated as possible, but also seek to remove some of these barriers through policy change, through pushing, you know, your elected officials local and um, and then, you know, all the way up, but local first. And and then I would say also too, like um, make providers accountable when, when there's an experience that isn't doesn't go right like share that experience not to blast people but to make them accountable right of course absolutely yeah amazing thank you for sharing all that i think that like i said this is just a moment of immense learning and not mm. turning a blind eye and not just letting this this uh what what's the phrase not letting this moment just become stay as a moment that's right this movement needs to to continue on so my last question for you is, um, so the name of the podcast is Your Best Life. And the main message is that there's no such thing as one best life. We all have different priorities, different goals, and different experiences that have contributed to us living our own best life. Mm-hmm. So what would you say is something that you learned that has allowed you to live your best life? Wow, I love that. Well, I have a book called Own Your Glow and um, that just debuted um, in paperback and it's all about this, right? The focus yes. is about living your best life. And, um, and, and I would say that what I have learned is that um, the, the, the pathway to that is through really taking care of yourself. And I feel like all of what we've been sharing has been underscored by this idea of self-care, right? This idea of being intentional and tuning into what your needs are. And so that's what I would say is that, you know, for us to live our best lives, we really need to start attuning to what our individual needs are and and how we can best serve ourselves through practices that support optimal well-being, that support spiritual growth, that support, um, you know, personal development. And I think that's deeply connected to just like listening to who you are um, through your body signaling, right? Like, yeah. What does my body need in this given moment? Um, what would what would serve me in this moment? You know, how do I make space for myself in this moment? Right. I think it's all about self care. Amazing, beautiful. <laughs> and where where can my listeners find and follow you? Um, you can come to at Glow Maven on Instagram. It's G L O W M A V E N. And at Mama Glow on Instagram too. M A M A G L O W, where we have all of our birth stuff. And just momaglow.com if you're interested in birth work, really good articles on pregnancy and postpartum and parenting and fun stuff that we're doing over there, um, come check it out. Or if you're interested in serving as a birth worker or doing doula work, you know, we're happy to have you. And if you're someone who wants to support those who are on a journey to serve, right? There's a lot of people who are in communities that really need access to doula care and cannot get that access. And so we have folks who are coming who can't afford to do the training. So if you're someone who wants to donate to the doula fund so, to, so that students Amazing. can get their education, you can also come there too. So yeah, just check it out and see if there's anything that resonates. 
Amazing. Thank you, Latham, so, so much. We dove into so many important and amazing topics. I really appreciate your time. Stay safe and healthy out there. You too, and I'm so proud of you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. Bye. Bye, love. So, Luca, what did you think about that very informative conversation? Very interesting, very informative, very educational. Yeah. So that was great. We definitely learned a lot. And so one thing about the Italian system, you said the OBGYN and midwife is the same thing or like kind of the yeah, same Yeah, I word. think I'm a little confused. So me too, me too. So, <laughs> so, so what, is, what is it? In Italy, at birth, there is always an OBGYN and a midwife present in hospitals. Okay. okay? okay. The thing is, it, OBGYN and midwife for us are two separate words. But the word for midwife is the same word that we use for obstetrician. Um, so an OBGYN um, is comprised of two distinct fields. So obstetrics, which involves like care during preconception, pregnancy, childbirth, and after delivery, and gynecology. So that's where the OB and the GYN come from. And obviously a gynecologist, you know, takes care of all women's health issues. So I think that's the distinction where like in Italy the obstetrician that is focused on pregnancy related, you know, situations. Yes, and it's a separate okay. person being in the room together with the OBGYN. So they work, Got in it. other words, they work together in Italy, unlike in the US where right. most of the times you can't have a, this is the main take here. Yes, you can't have take. a midwife in most hospitals here in the right. US, yes. Which is just so bizarre. Like, you know, like Latham said, like it, it really goes back to it's, from it's embedded in our history and you know yes. kind of when there was a, a shift away you know I, I just don't understand why if it's so beneficial why it's so controversial like even you and I have experienced when we've asked you know OBs like you know what how are we allowed to have a midwife and and they kind of have like a uh, you know like uh, they're a little right, hesitant yeah. mm -hmm. and so um, aside from that, what I'm, I'm so grateful to her for taking the time to explain is the fact that women of color, um, African-American women and Native American women are three times more likely to die as a result of childbirth. Like what in the world? Like yeah, seriously. That, I, I, that blows my mind. And also the fact that we have as a developed nation, one of the highest mortality rates uh, in maternal mat mortality rates. I yeah. like clearly there's something that needs to change. Um, I know us on this one little episode are not going to make a dent, but I think, I hope that at least having this discussion and talking about maternal health and, pr you know, pregnancy health, postpartum health, that it can, you know, raise awareness for women to just a advocate for themselves, you know, whether that is in the form of getting a doula or a midwife or just educating themselves like you know we're planning on having you know a hospital birth but i'm also hoping to have a doula there as well and i think that it's okay to to get the best of both worlds i think that in america especially we are a nation of extremes you know and people always like very to, much true they, yeah. yeah you you talk about this all the time your your mind is always blown about how how, you know, whatever solution people are going to is always from one extreme to the next. And a lot of times the solution is in the middle. And um, so, yeah, so, you know, that's our plan at least. Um, and I hope that this was informative and educational for those of you listening. If you have any thoughts to share on this episode, we would love to hear. Um, head to the Facebook group or to Instagram, uh, send us a DM or a comment, and we will talk to you guys next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs>
And that is it for this week's episode. If you enjoyed it, I would love for you to share with a friend, spread the word and help us grow our tribe. Please rate and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes each week. You can also follow us on Instagram and join our Facebook group, both under the same name, Your Best Life Podcast, to keep the conversation going. You can also send me an email at yourbestlifepodcast at gmail.com and you just might be featured in a future episode. Your Best Life is a Gallery Media Group original production. 